Welcome to Arin Podcast Luxembourg, our podcast channel that explores the latest legal and regulatory updates in Luxembourg by weighing in on our experts' profound experience. We are introducing our new podcast series, All About Private Debt. Our experts from different practice areas come together with guest speakers to debate hot topics in the private debt market. Welcome to our private debt podcast series. My name is Nicolas Boubray. I'm a partner at Arendt in our fund formation group. This is the first episode of our private debt series. And today we want to give you some insight on what's happening on the private debt market and where it is going. And for this, I'm very excited to be joined by Colin Bell, head of direct lending at Investec. Thanks for joining us, Colin, and great to have you with us today. Let's first set the scene. According to recent figures, private debt funds AUM in Europe represents just over 15% of the alternative funds market. So it's still relatively small in the alternative market, especially compared to private equity. But it has grown rapidly in the last five years, especially direct lending strategies. And beyond statistics, I think we all agree that more growth is expected in that market globally and in Europe specifically, where private debt is still quite new and much less developed than in the US, for example. So in short, we see that private debt is now an asset class in its own right, and it's probably here to stay on the long term. It is, by the way, an essential element of the European plan for a capital markets union, even more so in a post-COVID recovery. So Colin, I'd like to start by asking you, how, how did we get where we are today? How did private debt emerge as, as an asset class and direct lending in particular? in an environment like Europe, which has traditionally relied heavily on bank lending. And maybe, you know, to illustrate that, you could tell us about your story at Investec. How, how did Investec transition from bank lending only to a broader offering of direct lending solutions? Yes, that's fine, Nicholas, and thank you very much for having me uh, today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I mean, private debt and direct lending in particular within that Uh, really is a byproduct of the global financial crisis. And as you mentioned, um, at that stage, uh, the finance markets across Europe were very much uh, controlled and um, dominated by bank lending. Uh, the global financial, financial crisis changed everything uh, in that respect and probably exposed um, that concentration that I mentioned, but also uh, brought in uh, a lot higher regulation through the whole system led by Bar 3, um, where um, these, these areas were introduced to, uh, I suppose, curb risk-taking. Now, what that did is provide a, a perfect environment for the introduction of new sources of capital, uh, and in this case, the entry of, of fund um, and asset managers uh, into, the, into the market, alongside you know, new entrants, challenger banks, and the like. But the key part was really the in introduction of institutional capital Uh, versus what had traditionally been a very much a bank market. Um, and in the following 10 years since then, uh, we've seen a uh, you know, rapid growth in that space uh, from next to nothing as far as assets under management um, to probably, in, in, you know, from my latest stats from Prequin, around $140 billion worth of, um, of capital uh, in the private debt markets, you know, somewhat getting on par with Um, syndicated loans and, and high yield markets um, around there. So that's that's a huge amount of growth in that time. Um, 
on my side, I suppose the journey from that, I mean, I was within one of those banks during the, um, during the 2000 to 2010 uh, era. So I was on the bank side and saw most of this happen. Uh, I was actually at a market leader at the time and had the privilege of, of seeing, I suppose, the, the good side of the crisis and, and then the bad side of the crisis after there was a, you know, a huge amount of disruption in, in the financial markets across Europe and the world. Um, and what we did is did a deep dive actually on some of the learnings um, as a leverage finance business, a direct lending business inside a bank at that time. Uh, and there were lots of learnings, but a couple of them were uh, the banks were you know, very much got the sort of risk adjusted uh, rewards um, wrong. Uh, and that the alignment uh, between uh, the alignment of interest between the borrower and the capital was um, was out of sync. And I think this is where uh, the fund money coming in, where there's much higher alignment of interest between the capital raised and the manager, uh, and also the borrower um, has improved and certainly diversified the finance markets. Uh, as part of that, at the end of it, I had the opportunity to come to Investec in 2010. So I've been there for 10 years, uh, and Investec, whilst not an asset manager at that time, um, you know, spotted the opportunity that, that many direct lenders saw. Um, it's a very innovative uh, institution and, and has a strong investment mindset. So as yields um, and returns went from sort of low twos in, in leverage finance up to four, five, six percent, seven percent yields, which we saw when direct lenders came in, that was an opportunity where we saw we could build a business um, and build a business based on sort of two fundamental pillars, uh, capital preservation uh, and having a very strong risk-adjusted rewards at the very heart of the business model. Uh, and we've been building that, and I've been building that with a bunch of others and a team of others across the last 10 years, predominantly uh, on the balance sheet. Um, but more latterly, we've realized that to accommodate the needs of, of borrowers across Europe, um, but also due to the demand from, from LPs for more, um, for more managers to deploy money into in the private debt market, um, we um, we raised a debt fund at the end of last last year, 2019, um, to support the balance sheet um, into what is you know, probably quite innovative. We're a bank and a fund manager, um, asset manager, um, in a hybrid model, uh, and we see that as um, quite compelling as we go forward. Um, and that fund is is going very well. It's 75% deployed or so, so we'll be looking to raise further capital into 2022. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that. And so again, against that, that background, where, where do you see the direct lending market going in the next, uh, next months and next years? Yeah, I mean, in my view, the, the market still remains, you know, whilst there's been a lot of change in the last 10 years, and in fact, there's been rapid growth, uh, as I mentioned, from almost next to nothing to $140 uh, billion dollars, uh, under management in the space. Um, there's still a lot to go for, you know, both market growth um, with, with more borrowers uh, coming to market and more demand for that, um, that debt financing product, but also the share of private debt within the market. Um, you know, according to various sources, uh, that share is around 50 to 60%, depending on who you, who you refer to, of the overall European debt market so banks still have a in a proportional size of that but if you compare that to america where uh, the us that is where the penetration rates around 90 percent um you know using that as a system there's still significant headroom for growth even within the core market and we see that tending you know further in that in that direction um and what else has happened is now that the asset class has also been through a cycle which um 
um, of managers and, and I think from a investor's perspective, an LP perspective, um, there's much more comfort around the asset class given that track record um, investing in private debt. And therefore, we're seeing a lot more demand from investors, both fixed income um, and also in the alternative buckets of, of limited partners and, and institutional investors coming into that space. So those two things are the, are the key key drivers. Um, some sort of more micro themes, if I may, uh, you know, we have seen the market consolidate uh, with managers um, over the course of the, of the last five to six years. Um, and they've got a lot larger. So there is definitely a, a race for AUM uh, in that space. Uh, for us, um, we see that really as an opportunity because um, you see as players become more generic and get larger and almost competing more with the syndicated loan market nowadays and perhaps the mid-market where a lot of these people started, um, we expect to see a more differentiated strategies coming through. For us, that differentiated strategy is really a, a straight-line focus on the lower mid-market, mid-market corporate space um, where it's just it's a less competed market um, and also it's a market where origination capabilities um, and a partnership approach with clients is, is very important where you can get... Um, you know, a liquidity premium uh, for for that activity. So we'll see okay. we'll see that. Uh, one further trend uh, is probably we've started off with quite binary with banks and funds um, and separate parts of the yield curve where banks really looking at pricing from four to five percent um, margins, where uni tranche were really seven percent and above. Uh, what we're seeing now is probably more interest from institutional investors coming down the yield curve into the stretch senior, sort of 5% to 6% risk, but also into this traditional senior risk levels. And as we see that, um, that appeals to more uh, institutional investors like insurance, where, where they are, are very keen for capital preservation. And so we're seeing quite a lot of demand uh, into lower parts of the yield curve as the market gets more mature. And I think that's very exciting um, because that means more money is coming in, more institutional money coming in, but also it means there's more... Um, products i suppose on offer for institutions depending on where they want to be on the risk on the risk curve and the return curve in fact yeah and that's i think an interesting point because you I mean, you you talked about direct lending strategies and variations within that uh, that space but uh, I, th I think credit uh, private credit covers a broad range of strategies uh, yes. direct lending mezzanine special situations and and, and more opportunistic funds as well so we, we see that indeed there are lots of, of funds out there. And um, as you said, it's partly driven by um, investor demand. And it looks like especially institutional investors appreciate having this range of, of options um, to match their own liabilities. Uh, so we see that indeed it's, it's very much an uh, institutional investor driven uh, market um, where insurance companies and pension funds in, in Europe um, uh, take um, a very important place. Um, so maybe you could explain a bit more, you know, from an LP perspective, what, what makes it so attractive for these institutionals to invest in, in private debt um, and as, as opposed to alternatives like uh, private equity, but also I think as compared to more traditional uh, listed fixed income products out there. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I think we do have the benefit now of 10 years of track record from managers, which I think is, is key. Um, so, so that has helped. And what, what that's borne out, and I think the key attraction for the, for the investor is really 
strong and predictable returns. Um, I think Prequin did a study on European direct lenders in particular from 2011-2017, where they reported IRRs through the asset class of 7.5% to 8.8%, but more importantly, a standard deviation, a very low standard deviation of around 5% around that. And now that is important because you're getting very good returns in an environment where interest rates are low, if not negative, uh, in some jurisdictions. Um, but also you're getting very limited variability. So that brings um, confidence and it makes it much more compelling in that space. To Over and above that, there's obviously a very large market to go for, as I mentioned earlier on in the conversation. So those factors are appealing to, to folk. If you compare that to syndicated loan market, for example, uh, you're probably getting yield to maturities there uh, of you know, four to five percent for for leverage loans, uh, and so that premium you're seeing to that in, in the private debt place is appealing. And if you compare that, obviously to um, to the interest rates on offer, those are strong returns, um, and say so more importantly, they are dependable um, and predictable returns across the cycle. And I think that's very attractive, and I think that will attract more people to it. Um, the one thing which we, we saw through COVID, of course, was also it's less volatile asset class. Uh, it's not listed. Uh, these are private um, vehicles. And therefore, uh, when there are disruptions to the market, like we had in 2020 with COVID, um, there's just a lot less uh, volatility in the asset class um, that people are seeing. As we go forward, um, one of the big topics at the moment in, in, in all asset classes is inflation, um, particularly led by higher inflation in the US at the moment, interest rates going up. Uh, the fact that private debt is predominantly a floating um, product, not a fixed product like high yield bond, for example, that, that gives an embedded um, hedge to, to higher interest rates. And I think as we look forward, that will become much more more relevant based on the trends we're seeing at the moment uh, in interest rates. So those are the key reasons uh, where we see sort of the attractions versus other asset classes, um, um, strong and predictable returns being the key one there. Mm-hmm. And what, what kind of strategies would you think will be successful in the next uh, year or so? Or do, do you see anything new on the market, any new trends uh, that, that will come to the market um, in the future? Yeah, I mean, as, as previously mentioned, as I say, we're seeing more alternative options, I think, for investors along the yield curve. So in this case, going down down the yield curve uh, into more traditional senior, I think that will be, that's a large volume market. So there's a lot to go for in there. And we've seen direct lenders uh, introduce more traditional senior funds in that space, uh, of which we, um, we, we compete. Um, so that's one sort of key macro part within that um, you know, a big topic at the moment where you will see innovation, you will see change, and that matches to investor demands is uh, ESG-related um, funds. Um, and that's obviously happening in private equity uh, a lot already, but it's a very topical conversation at the moment, and you will see more, uh, and we will see more ESG-related funds uh, coming up through um, as that market you know, develops and matures at a very fast rate, I would say. But as uh, you'll see a lot more homogenization through that. Um, on different product types, if we go that way, um, the lower mid market, mid market is still very uh, unserved from a borrower's perspective. Um, so we'll see uh, some more differentiation to strategies that focus uh, in that compartment, as well as other products like fund finance, which is um, an area of investing, 
also has uh, where investor demand for NAV lending uh, against the GP's portfolio, the whole portfolio, rather than individual portfolio companies, as in direct lending, is something that is topical and funds are being raised currently uh, in that market, as well as even the core capital side of, of fund finance, core capital being subscription lines against the funds when they are doing their um, um, call downs for, um, for investment in portfolio companies. So those are a couple of areas of innovation that are happening in the market uh, at the moment, and we expect to see more um, demand from investors yeah. and LPs going forward. Yeah. You know, how, how do you at Investec uh, position yourself in that market? And I think you mentioned that, you know, that the market is becoming more competitive, more concentrated on the, on the major side. Well, how, how do you differentiate yourself? What, what are your strong points? Yeah, sure. I mean, from our side, I mean, where we position, we've, we've been in the market for a long time. Um, but I think one of the, the key differentiations is the, the scale and um, infrastructure that we have focused exclusively on the lower mid-market, mid-market. Um, so that's putting the definition around that. That's corporates from you know, two to three million EBITDA up to 50 million EBITDA. Uh, and that's an area uh, which remains un underserved. Uh, in the direct lending market, um, but also requires quite intense origination requirements. So you need uh, an infrastructure to serve that market because there's a high volume down there of corporates and borrowers um, to target. Uh, and so scale, therefore, is important. Now, we benefit from a whole business that is focused in that space, and that business crosses multi-products, um, multi if you like, from advisory through to lending, um, both at the fund level and at the corporate level. Uh, through to risk management and private banking solutions. So what that means is you have a lot of people um, originating into that market. We've got more than 150 million people across Europe, pan-Europe, um, originating to private equity and straight to corporate borrowers, uh, which is significant. Um, and what that also means is you get very high relevance for borrowers. It's not just coming with one solution for them. You're coming with multiple um, solutions depending on where they are in their investment cycle. Uh, overall, that leads to, in our view, a superior um, origination model, uh, particularly versus more standalone um, direct lenders. Uh, and, and when you're getting a good flow into the pipeline, that allows you to choose the best, um, best assets, best borrowers, but also the best risk adjuster reward to fit to your investor demands. Mm. Um, I suppose the second main part is really that the business has been around for a very long time, investing in the asset class across Europe. So we've been together for 10 years. Uh, as a business, um, the key originators in that business have been together since 2014. So it's um, a long-term established business and can prove a track record uh, across that period. We've put out something like over 6 billion euros of capital into, into the European direct lending markets across that time um, uh, and established very good returns with low, low um, losses, be less than 10 basis points per annum of losses, which will be market leading in this space uh, and that all goes to redefine our business model which is a so straight line focused on capital preservation and just getting the best risk adjusted rewards rewards we can per investment um, so those are the sort of key key parts um, of it um, as far as differentiators a large established platform uh, and a track record we can point to that's proven um, that people can uh, audit and invest in I suppose more practically for, for LPs, and this is probably pointing a little bit to some of the advantages of having a, a bank and fund model working together, is we can warehouse uh, and seed uh, 
uh, fund capital um, upfront, which helps to reduce the J curve um, and get uh, funds up to full deployment faster than perhaps um, businesses or institutions without that capability. And that's we're seeing quite a lot of interest in that, particularly as deployment levels uh, are higher. There's a lot of dry powder out there that wants to be deployed, so we can be very useful to um, investors uh, in helping them meet their objectives of deployment levels. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. That's indeed really interesting uh, to know more about, about the model. So I think we, we've talked about the market, strategies, products, your, your approach. Um, I'd like to now briefly turn to structuring. Um, so without okay. going into legal technicalities, of course, but uh, I think structuring is, is quite an important piece of any uh, successful fundraise. Uh, you need to, to offer the right structuring solutions to, to your investors. I'd say even more so in, in this environment, which is getting more and more complex on, on all sides, really, uh, legal, regulatory, tax, you know, accounting, reporting. Um, what, what we probably see in the future is some higher degree of harmonization um, uh, on, on structures as, as the market matures. Uh, but still, there, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a bit where Luxembourg comes into play. You know, we have a very broad range of structuring solutions, uh, stable regulatory and tax environment, and, and generally uh, a very well-established uh, alternative fund management and, and fund servicing industry. Um, so I'd, I'd like to ask you this. Um, what do you see as the key elements that your investor insists on in terms of investment structures? And, and as a fund manager, you know, how, how do you um, react, uh, how do you face um, uh, these uh, investor demands? Sure. I mean, it's it's worth pointing out, sort of up front, that you know the the investor requirements are critical um, when it comes to structuring. So we very much are an organisation where it's um, investor led. What the, what's right for the investor, we start with, and then we put structure in around that afterwards. And there's some best investors have certain requirements from an operation uh, or regulatory requirement that need to be factored in. Um, so it's important that that's at the core of of our structuring. Um, what we is when we, what do we look for? I suppose when we're choosing a structure and jurisdiction, if we go if we go that way first, I mean, what we are looking for is a well-recognised um, jurisdiction, one that can factor in um, various um, or is efficient from taxation treaties uh, and particularly the efficient management of um, withholding tax, um, but also offers flexible structuring solutions, whether it be private limited companies through to RAFES, uh, etc. For us, um, having set up a fund just recently in Luxembourg, we did quite a lot of analysis on this and came in Luxembourg, um, became our go-to jurisdiction for, for certainly for our European strategies. Uh, and the key reasons for this is really it's, it's a well-recognized jurisdiction, but well-recognized for being at the leading edge of structuring, taxation, uh, management and transparency. And I think these things are important now and as regulation increases and the need for transparency increases, uh, becomes very much more important. So uh, those are important to investors and they're equally important to us. But uh, being in a jurisdiction that can cater for all of that um, uh, is important um, as we look to, de to design, I suppose, structures for investors and meet their needs going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I would agree with that as a fund formation lawyer, obviously. <laughs> um, so I just have actually one, one last bonus question yep. for you um, before we wrap up and maybe as a, as a form of conclusion. 
So if you had to, to choose one thing that you would want to change in the private debt fund industry as it, as it currently operates, so what, what would it be? What would you change to help the industry grow and, and get to the next level? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I think the key part, I mean, I'm thinking more from an industry perspective, um, really falls around a, a theme I just mentioned um, with Luxembourg is around, you know, regulation will increase into the space. It's such a large asset class all of a sudden, as I mentioned, in 10 years, it's really gone from next to nothing to, to a huge asset class, which competes with much more established asset classes. So regulation will move into the space. And I think it's important for, for managers uh, in particular to probably move in advance of that and um, and factor that into the way the industry grows. And, and that probably refers to transparency, uh, refers to probably increased homogenization of that transparency across um, across the industry. And I think uh, if we're leading that um, development, uh, I think, and in control of that development, I think that uh, would be a good thing for, for the industry. And clearly, when you're bringing more transparency, and I think that will attract more more investor comfort and more investor confidence in the space, mm -hmm. uh, which there which there has developed, but but we need more so I think, uh, in a world where uh, it's only going one way I think from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all right, and I think that's um, it's pretty good. A uh, few last words as a conclusion. Um, thanks, Colin, for being with us today. That's already the end of this first episode. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this private debt podcast. We hope you found it interesting. If you would like more information about our private debt expertise, we invite you to visit our website, www.arendt.com. If you don't want to miss our latest episode, please feel free to subscribe to our podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.